G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. Let's turn our attention back to persecuted Christians in nations around the world. Just a week or two ago, we were talking about the new World Watch list and how there's been a displacement. For 20 years, the number one position has been the nation of North Korea. But now Afghanistan has exceeded the intensity of persecution of Christians and is now in the number one position at the top of the World Watch list. Let's get some insights on trends that are happening so far as persecution of Christian believers around the world. Mike Gore is the CEO of Open Doors and always welcome back with us. And Mike, a special welcome back again to 2020. Neil, mate, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about the launch of the World Watch List, and we're back today. So, yeah, appreciate you having me back on. Mike, trends. There's movement on the World Watch List and movement in that top 10 group, but how do we see trends that are happening so far as persecution of believers, especially over these past couple of years? Yeah, look, as for, and for the listeners, just to recap on that, so the World Watch List is an indexed ranking of the 50 most difficult countries to be a Christian. So 50 of the countries are ranked from the hardest to the 50th when it comes to sort of outworking our faith in the gospel. And so, as you said, Neil, at the top of that list this year for the first time in 20 years um, and to overtake North Korea is Afghanistan. And so, you know, it's, it's a significant shift for us as an organization and had a story that, to be honest, all of the listeners and, and the Western church really needs to be aware of. I mean, there is... Um, a larger body of Christ all over the world that desperately need our help, our love, our prayers, our support, our finances uh, in this moment. But when when you talk about trends, I mean, what's really interesting is out of this data, you can really start seeing some of the the shifts in the ways that persecution over the coming 12, maybe even 24 months will be used. For instance, uh, the the triumph of the Taliban um, in Afghanistan. The, The reality is it will, in all likelihood, embolden other extremist groups and so a resurgence of the likes of ISIS and other people like that um, across sub-Saharan Africa, the Falani herdsmen um, and Boko Haram and other extremist groups are likely to be sort of encouraged I guess um, to re-emphasize their pursuit and so we're likely to see an increase in sort of the other extremist group because of this. Uh, We'll see, sorry, the global church probably increasingly displaced um, around the world based off some of these crises and other governments increasing their use of technology to identify and ultimately oppress Christians and other minority groups. The technology is an important one, but before we move into a little more depth on that, you're talking about the Taliban and Afghanistan. That victory of the Taliban, we'll call it a victory, emboldening other extremist groups around the world. I can't help but think of how the Taliban has been left uh, with all of the armaments that were left behind by the coalition team that was trying to maintain peace in Afghanistan. Does that, in fact, mean that extremist groups may well be better armed than they've ever been before? 
Look, I'm not sure that I would say that because of the, the coalition's lack of resources, although in Afghanistan, yeah, absolutely, they would have um, access to a larger cache of weapons than they would previously have had. But, however, one of the really interesting you know, idiosyncrasies to the Middle East, uh, I know you've spent some time there, I've spent some time there, is that there is an, an inherent mistrust in the banking sector or systems. Right now, what that means for the listeners is, well, when you're living in places like Syria or Iraq, well, often you keep all of your cash under your bed, under your mattress, or in different places throughout your house. And so one of, one of the key catalysts as to ISIS and why it was so well-funded was that when they took over cities and towns and they displaced people from their homes, not only did they get the possessions of the home, but they were often laden with cash, right? Because that's where people would store their resources. And so when it comes to armament and weaponry, well, well, they have the resources to buy them. And on the flip side of that is when you hear stories of displacement or refugee camps or IDP camps, well, in the Middle East, when people say they lose everything, it's not like they have a bank account, or for many people, sorry, they have a bank account or superannuation. It's all under their home and their roof. And so when they say we've lost everything, they, they truly have lost everything. And so yeah, it's a long answer to your question, but I think it's probably more a case of the accessibility to, to finance and cash allows certain groups to buy the resources they need in, in a weapons sense. And when bad regimes are in control, uh, they seriously do have control over people's money. And when we talk about the use of technology, the rising technology, that, as you say, also includes banking, but it's this surveillance system, this knowing what everyone's doing at every single moment. And if anyone's out of line or if anybody looks like they're in some ways subversive as a Christian to a, a dictatorial regime, they become a target. That's right, and and one of the one of the real interesting things I often get asked the question around Bible smuggling. You know, do you still smuggle Bibles? Surely you don't need to smuggle Bibles anymore. I mean, everyone's got a phone and they've got an app and they've got this, and and all of those statements are true. But what we fail to realise with particularly technology and digital is actually that the, if you call it a digital fingerprint, I guess you know, like almost like um, a breadcrumb trail. I tell you what, it is far easier to find someone and follow them in their digital movements than it probably is their physical. And so when we talk about the internet, this, this incredible device of accessibility and information, well, it really is, but it's also very easy and highly monitored. Now, you know, for some technologically proficient people listening, they'll go, yeah, but VPNs, all that. well, you know what? There are these sort of ways you can get around it, but that might be for the 3 to 5% of the population, for the overwhelming majority, you know, the people like our mums and dads, or whoever it might be, who, who aren't technologically proficient, um, they're easy to find, they're easy to unmask, they're easy to reveal on the internet. And so what we're finding is governments across the globe um, becoming increasingly authoritarian and using technology to both identify and oppress Christians and, to be honest, many other minority groups. Well, Mike, I know there'll be listeners saying, I don't need to look around the world to see this rise in technology and the monitoring of people and every little movement, every digital footprint or fingerprint. This is happening in Australia too. And we might think that our current government could be trustworthy with that sort of information, but things can change. We've got our own challenges around religious freedom right now. That's all being debated. Uh, any thoughts here about Australia and even the possibility that uh, we could be a little less secure than we think? 
Yeah, look, my, my first thought is just to make sure that we don't um, combine the two. Now, the reality is, for many years, uh, since the advent of the internet, but also particularly um, mobile devices, you know, our whereabouts have been well and truly easy to find and monitor from any government perspective. I mean, there'll be some people who are better at hiding and evading than others, but for the most part, um, the increase in awareness of our movements is, you know, through QR check-ins and any anything else, right, all those kind of, well, for years it's been happening, in my view. The, the wrestle we've got to face here is that as Christians, we can sometimes say, yeah, but it's persecution. No, no, we can't, we can't combine two separate issues. What we haven't yet seen in Australia is the use of technology to ultimately restrict faith. Now, you can have people say, look, oh, they restrict my post online about this or about that. Yeah, well, that's, that's censorship. And again, that's a separate issue. But I think one of the biggest wrestles we face in Western cultures is, is mislabeling moralistic change in society as though it is Christian persecution. But I think it's a really, really difficult separation to make because all of the things around sex and sexuality or whatever it might be, marriage, food, family, friend, whatever it is, these changes, we can sometimes say, well, Australia is becoming less Christian. Well, it is. That's the truth. But it doesn't also mean it's persecution. Our persecution, in my understanding of it, is that wherever the gospel is being shared, wherever Jesus is being preached and outworked, and there is a response because of that, that's persecution. We will see more of that over the coming decade, Neil. I really believe that in Western cultures. We need to remember um, the three myths of persecution. Number one is that persecution isn't always violent. So when we talk about persecution coming to Australia, it is far less likely to be violent persecution and far more likely to be non-violent persecution, kind of restricting the public profession of faith or the outworking of church and community uh, environments, those kind of things. The second one is, you know, persecution is not always committed by Muslims. You know, in fact, I've met countless Muslims the world over who are lovely, wonderful, generous people. And so I think that's a great misnomer of persecution. And thirdly, is that persecution is always aimed at Jesus. What we've found in countries like China and India is it's far more focused at restoring those nations to the, the Eastern spirituality and eradicating anything that's perceived as Western or in this case, particularly American. Believe it or not, Jesus was born in the Middle East, but for many of these nations, they would see it as an American religion. And so it's not always aimed at, hey, we, we just hate Jesus. Sometimes it's aimed at, we want anything that stinks or, or makes us think of the West out of our country. And so again in Australia, as freedoms of religion change, we've got to make sure that we don't um, mislabel the changes in moral code of society as though it were persecution. Because I think if we do that as a church, inverted commas, they're there, we're on a slippery slope um, to becoming sort of irrelevant in society and really finding it difficult, almost infighting, because we're, we're debating the wrong issues. We need to be cautious about a woe-is-me attitude here in Australia. And I guess when we've got things like the World Watch List and detail of what sort of persecution is really happening around the world, uh, we can be encouraged that what's happening here does not really even compare to what's going on around the world. When we're talking trends, Mike, when we're talking numbers, the sheer numbers of people that you can identify around the world being persecuted these days, uh, from my understanding, uh, your statistics, something like 360 million Christians experiencing some level of high or extreme level persecution. That's mind-boggling, isn't it? That's one in seven worldwide, Neil. One in seven Christians experiencing a very high to extreme level of persecution. So that 360 million figure 
is in the top 50 countries, but when it comes to high and extreme, so very high and extreme, low level is not reflected in that number. This is just very high to extreme levels of persecution. So that's one in seven Christians worldwide. And it's not just light-level discrimination. There are people in nations, especially when you get that top 10 list out of the top 50, uh, where people's lives are at risk. Uh, This is the key here uh, for where you get a focus and no doubt uh, where you'd like people to be prayerful and supportive of whatever campaigns you can do to support the persecuted church, Mike. That's right. I think it's incredibly important that as... You know, I would say caring for the persecuted church, it should be part of the DNA of anyone who calls themselves a Christian. So if we would associate ourselves or publicly call ourselves a Christian, then we need to be serving and supporting the global body of Christ living under persecution. And, and as you mentioned before, and so graciously do with Open Doors, is that, you know, we, we would love listeners to pray for the persecuted church and where possible to financially support them. Because what you're doing is in so many ways you're investing into the ongoing movement of the gospel in some of the most conflicted countries on the planet. Open door. Our job is is not to end persecution. We don't try and stop it. We try and say, hey, how can we help you continue to remain courageously committed to following Christ despite it? We want to make it easier. We don't agree with it, right? But we do want to say, how can we help you? And um, and that's one of the most beautiful, unique differences to Open Doors is that you're investing into the ongoing movement of the gospel in some of the most conflicted countries on the planet. Well, for listeners who've not connected with Open Doors before, you might like to visit the website. It's opendoors.org.au. You'll have access to the World Watch List, those 50 nations that are on the World Watch List. And I might say with interactive maps, you can identify which nations that you might even like to be a prayer warrior for, uh, for Christian believers in those nations. Mike Gore is the CEO of Open Doors, opendoors.org.au for connecting to uh, Mike and the team and the good work that they do. Mike, thanks so much for the update today on 2020. Anytime, Neil. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.